0: I think selling is misunderstood in every sense of the word. Selling skills are the ability to communicate effectively. Selling skills are the ability to ask powerful questions that uncover a need or a goal or a challenge that you can address. Selling skills are copywriting and being able to write compelling, concise emails or posts on social. These are skills that are gonna help you not just with sales, but with running a successful business.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. Super excited about today's episode where I have Ian Cognac, who's going to be teaching us about the differences when it comes to selling for yourself versus building your own business and seeing the role of sales that play within it. Now, this man's a sales coach, sales trainer, keynote speaker, content creator, and a YouTuber. Matter of fact, this man has done wonders in the field of sales education. <laughs> Ranked number one sales star by Sales Success Media in Q3 2021. The man has open accounts, sold over $100 million worth of sales to Fortune 500 companies. He's led 10 sales managers, 70 reps. He's been able to join a mastermind. He's been able to hire a coach, become the number one at Salesforce, where he sold 5.7 million, which is more than the four previous years combined. He's here to teach us about sales. Yet now, as he's running his own business, training other people in sales, I really want to hear about the dynamic of someone being a legend in the field when it comes to specializing in sales, to taking this knowledge and now not selling for a company, but selling for yourself. If you've ever had to make the transition from that space where now you're selling for your own business, you have to be the product. I'm really curious to hear how that journey is different. What are the things you can take from the sales industry and how to be successful in the process? Ian, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Jason. Thanks for the topic. Can't wait to dive in.
1: I'm excited to have you here. You've been breaking records, making tons of growth numbers within your own company i know that you're at a seven figure consulting business right now so first off i'd just love to know about what motivated the switch right you're having all this success within corporate now you're in your own journey what motivated that transition
0: i think when you're younger oftentimes the motivators are extrinsic by nature you're talking about buying a house or getting promoted making a certain number of dollars a certain income and you set these goals right fundamentally whatever it is i want to make this amount of money and perform this well and you know that was my career for 19 years i frankly was able to accomplish everything i could have wanted i had a family i had my dream home i had all of the things that i ever could have asked for i had a lot of money in the bank and i asked myself you know why am i not happy why am i not truly fulfilled and i didn't actually ask myself this what happened is i had a near-death experience back in 2019 and to make the long story very short since i know we're only recording for 30 minutes i went to a theme park an amusement park and it was a six flags park i don't know if you have those in bali but we have them in los angeles and it got stuck on the top of what was called a flying coaster. And a flying coaster, you're hanging upside down and the track is above you and all your weights on this little harness. And I was up there hanging 180 feet in the air for about 30 minutes. And all my success that I'd had up to that point, all of my, you know, attributes, if you will, none of it mattered. All I could be thinking about in that moment was like, if I died right now, I would be full of regret for a life that was selfishly lived. And it was in that moment that I decided to pivot and I prayed, I prayed about it because I thought of my family. I, at the time I had one young boy, beautiful wife, and you know, I thought about my family, I thought about the world and what my purpose was in it. And the epiphany that I had, the catalyst was, you know, if I died right now, I would have so many regrets for living a selfish life that was focused purely on money in pursuit of these extrinsic type of motivators. And I haven't given back to the world. I haven't actually contributed in a way that was meaningful. And that was really scary for me. And the roller coaster was hanging, and I'm thinking about this thing. And I basically started praying really hard. I thought I was going to die. I was hanging. There were people passing out. It was a horrific incident. You could see a video on YouTube, and I have pictures to prove it, but it was the scariest thing in my life. And during that moment, I had this kind of call it a rebirth, where I started praying and I said, God, I promise I'm not going to wait anymore. Just get me off this coaster. I promise I'll, I'll do it right now. I'll start contributing. And I kid you not, that's when the coaster started going, like when I made that promise. And I'm like, okay, I guess I can't deny it, right? Because, you know, I'm one of those seeing is believing kind of people where I need to see for myself. And my faith was always in question somewhat. In that moment, it was no longer. It was like, okay, clearly, you know, there is something greater to my life. And this was a sign and I intend to keep my word to my higher power. So that's how it all started. And that kind of got me on a path of like a side hustle where I was making videos and teaching sales within my company, just doing it for pure service. And then people gradually started approaching me and wanting me to help them above and beyond what I was doing and were willing to pay for it. So one thing led to another and you know, soon it became this thriving side hustle. And eventually it actually surpassed my Salesforce income. And I'm like, you know, I love doing this and truly do feel like I'm making an impact in the best of ways. And I want to do it full time. And at that point, it was like more of a calling. So that's a very long way of saying, when you get to a certain point where you've been successful, money is no longer the motivator. It becomes, what's my purpose here? What do I want to do with this life? And I'm very much on that road right now. And it's been the best possible move I ever could have made.
1: I absolutely love that story. I think a lot of times we're kind of waiting for that moment to make the change, whatever it is that's currently working. Moving to the other thing is scary, but in your case, you kind of got forced into meditative state, connection with the divine, and then making that bold move. But I'd be curious to know this. I've asked this question before, and I'm never sure of the answer myself, but do you feel it's a good idea to take care of the financial piece before making a jump to building your own business? Or do you feel like this is something you could have done you know, right from the get-go and kind of skip that path of chasing the extrinsic?
0: I think that fundamentally, if you've been chasing the extrinsic for 19 years or 18 years, whatever it was at the time, you're not just gonna overnight switch off and say, I'm all in, I'm quitting my job. I think that's a terrible idea. For me, I have a family to support. My wife is a full-time mom. We have a nice home and multiple homes. And it's just one of those things where I have a high cost of living. And I'm so glad that I took the slow road because I would not be here doing what I'm doing at this capacity had I went all in. Because it took me a couple of years to properly build a brand, build content, build even the vision of what I was gonna focus on in my coaching business, who I was gonna serve, what content I would be creating. So. I feel like if you do all that without having clients, you're going to be desperate to get clients and you're going to be operating your business from a place of scarcity versus abundance. And where I was able to go was a place of truly following my passion and serving without needing the money because I had gotten my financial house in order. And that makes my service level and it makes my focus all about the client and the mission versus making the money. And I think... Fundamentally, that probably is going to lend itself to how I view sales as well, because you know, when sales is all about the money and you and that scarcity of like why you need something, you're not going to do it great. When it's about the client and the purpose you're serving and how you're going to help them, you absolutely, the money's going to flow. So I very much had to be in a place where I felt like I didn't need the money to be able to go all in
1: for the money to go up here and manifest, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. And I was having a conversation with Walter McKay, who's also a sales trainer, and we were having a debate about like, can you be in a place of service? Can you sell from a place of integrity and love if you're coming from a place of being needy? And it sounds like you followed the right path. Whereas, like, hey, I have the abundance now. I want to come from a place of serving. So, guess what? I'm going to do this, you know, parallel until a point that I can make that transition, yet still stay true to your values. I 100% agree with you. I did a similar thing, which is I was working at Mind Valley, yet I had this interest in building my personal brand and doing the things that you know align with what I truly love doing, which is teaching this material, doing the podcast, but being able to do it within an environment that also nurtured not only my skill in sales, but also the connections in the industry. So finding that work that aligned to where I was going as well seemed to make sense. And for you, being at Salesforce, being able to do sales, like you're in the trenches, learning what you're teaching also had its own benefits. So bring me to this key question, The fact that you had all this sales background, like how important do you feel is having great sales knowledge to somebody starting their business?
0: I think that it is the foundation of running a successful business is selling skills. And so let's talk about what selling skills are because I think selling is misunderstood in every sense of the word. Selling skills are the ability to communicate effectively. Selling skills are the... Ability to ask powerful questions that uncover a need or a goal or a challenge that you can address. Selling skills are the ability to convey the value of what you bring to the table and connect it to that need of your client. Selling skills are copywriting and being able to write compelling, concise emails or posts on social. These are skills that are going to help you not just with sales, but with running a successful business, with dealing with conflict when, you know, conflicts arise, with having difficult conversations when, you know, there's client issues or when you're negotiating something that may not even have to do with sales, for example. I recently got hired as the dean for the Enterprise Sales School at Pavilion. And when I looked over their contract, it was basically handing over my IP for my course to them as part of teaching the program. And I said, absolutely not. So being able to navigate how to set up a contract where I kept my own IP and just was brought in as a basically contributing dean that was teaching versus giving them the content was something that required negotiation skills. I mean, leadership skills, being able to quarterback an extended team and bring the right people at the right time to solve the right problems for your clients. These are skills that are business skills. If you think about fundamentally running a business, there's a lot of parallels between running a territory and sales, where you're responsible for finding the clients, creating the need, closing the deal, and oftentimes maintaining and renewing the clients and growing the accounts. So. That's identical into what I've been doing now in my own business, selling coaching and training services and masterminds and all the different things that I'm now involved with. So I think if I didn't have those skills, I don't know what I would do, but I certainly wouldn't do the volume of revenue that I'm doing now because I would need someone else to do sales for me. And that person might not convey as easily as the business owner, the value of what you know I'm selling myself that's the interesting thing and as a business owner you're selling yourself especially a small business it's not about your capabilities as a company because oftentimes there might be a bigger you know player in town and you know you might be highlighting what's unique and different that is not your scale for example of servicing a global customer For me, I wouldn't compete with a company that could do trainings for globally for Salesforce, for example, because that would require all my time, right? And I can't do that. So I think fundamentally, when we're a business owner and you don't know how to sell, you could have the best product in the world, but without clients, you're going to be out of business. And that's what I see all the time. In fact, I do do some advisory work for small business owners as part of my coaching practice. I coach CEOs that don't know how to sell, that are founders. And they have these amazing development teams. They have these amazing products, but they have no clients. And they don't know how to build pipeline. And they don't know how to close the clients that they have. And they're these crazy, it almost feels like one-way street where they're the ones who are giving, 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 and they're not getting anything back in return because they don't know the value of give-take and that selling is a two-way street and know how to set boundaries with clients. So all these skills that I've learned and really tried to master over the course of my sales career are now being directly used in business and it's led me to exponentially grow faster than I would ever. You know, My trajectory where I am now is that of a 20-year coach and I've only been doing it for one year. My revenue is more than 99.9% of coaches out there in a one-year period. It's not because I'm a master coach. I haven't coached that long. It's because I'm a master salesperson who's selling coaching. So there's a very big difference there. And I do still consider myself salesperson first because of the way I allocate my time and where I focus. It's all about customers moving deals forward and finding pipe and creating pipe. And because that's been my focus versus like building the best product, for example, that has driven the revenue. And now I can actually work on the product and hire people and continue to enhance it because I have the clients and you know don't have that pressure of revenue. Like having to keep the lights on, which so many people face when they have high operating expenses and low sales.
1: If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes. to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com/sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. You touched on something that I'd love to stress a bit more on, which is you didn't focus necessarily on the product, you focus on getting the clients and then with the excess revenue that you're generating by getting the clients, you get to invest in the product and make it better than it could have ever been if you wouldn't have done the sales. And I think that's a key distinction for a lot of people that are very product focused where they're like, I don't want to sell anything. I want my product to be the best, but they're bootstrapping it without putting it in front of clients. So they're kind of building their own internal idea of what is the best product for people they haven't served yet. And how important do you think it is the fact that you're innovating your product based on the needs of the clients that you already have?
0: It's amazing. So I started first taking clients, I think, maybe 2019 i took my first paid coaching client and it was just like this i was a zoom call we set up a link i think they venmoed me i was charging an obscenely low amount at the time relative to what i do now but it's like i just want to start doing the work i don't want to have to wait for perfect and so I started in this very bootstrappy way. Then I was doing it while I was at Salesforce and I was only taking like five clients. Well, what ended up happening is the same questions arose over and over and over again. So every time I would coach something, I would say, I'm going to put this content in either a video or a deck or something that I can reteach later on. Okay. Another question came up. I'm going to put this content into the product. So this has happened over a course of It was December 2018 is when I got stuck on the roller coaster. Then I started doing this kind of side hustle in 2019. So 19, 20, 21, so three years of essentially getting coaching experience before having a product. Well, I just launched my first product, my first online coaching platform. We did a $500,000 launch. Okay. So in that like one month launch period, I was able to one, take what I had gotten from building an audience for several years and I've been nurturing the audience for years with these videos and newsletters and frankly I had no product to sell so there's immense value in sharing in giving value away before asking the buy and establishing trust with the client so that's kind of the first benefit that came from like taking on clients and starting coaching because I could share these videos based on what clients were telling me. So, what I learned, for example, I mean, I don't want to get too far away from the question, but the first value is you learn what the market wants, okay? The second value is as you're delivering, we'll call it your minimum viable product, your MVP. In my case, it was like the Zoom coaching, right? You're basically building something that can scale, that can address the needs of the market. So, by the time I actually launched my product last month, I had 400 pages of content. I had 12 modules for training. So I could launch a one-year coaching platform that had everything from mindset to habits to discovery to closing negotiation, mastering your messaging, writing copy, like all the things that I learned, taught, and used, now I could build into a scalable program. Well, if I had tried to build that out before actually delivering and learning what People needed help with, I would have been guessing and I would have spent years building this thing guessing, but I wasn't in a rush, right? I said, I'm going to build it. It's going to come at the right time. I don't want to force a product just to get to market out. I would much rather deliver what I can and be patient. So when I go build a product, I can get it right versus spending all this time, energy, and money on something that I really haven't tested. So by the time it got out, I mean, I tested it so much with so many people and the marketing that I had been doing. I knew what people wanted. I could write my email copy. I could write my sales page. I can write my website all based on the problems that I knew people had. And I sold that 500000 without taking any sales calls, which is unheard of for the coaching space. So that's a testament to when you get your offer right, because you've been delivering it in a smaller capacity, you can basically hit the mark and go really big when that time comes.
1: I absolutely love that story. I absolutely resonate with what you're saying when you're talking about, you know, going out there doing the minimum viable product, getting the feedback, not going with a bunch of hypotheses, but actually having tested strategies so that when you go big and you make that launch and you go do that offer, you know what you're doing and it's validated by the market and I think we run on too many assumptions for too long. I wanted to ask one part, which is you know, you've worked at Salesforce, you were working for a company, and then you had a specific role you're selling, you're opening accounts, you're closing deals, and this is for the company. And now, as you're going out there as a coach and you're selling people into the product, which is now you, you are the product. And I wanted to talk about were there some significant learning or mindset things you needed to overcome when it came to? Oh, whoever I sell to now, I also need to deliver the service. Am I truly worthy to deliver it? Is it truly valuable? Was there any self-doubts and did you overcome them successfully?
0: What's interesting is I never really had imposter syndrome about being a coach. You know, I thought about like, oh, maybe I need to get certified in coaching. I need to you know, go to school for coaching. And then someone told me, like, Tony Robbins is the number one coach in the world, and he's not certified from some organization, dude. You got this, right? And I'm like, yeah, good point, right? Bill Gates, Elon Musk, look at like some of the top entrepreneurs. They didn't get certification or even college degrees in, in that respect. They went and learned by experience. So for me, my experience was actually doing the job. I had been coaching and running sales teams throughout my career. I had been coaching as a side hustle and kind of helping people and watching them get the results that I wanted. So, you know, I think the challenge that I ran into was not one of like feeling like I wasn't able to deliver or I wasn't worthy of delivering. It was more of a challenge of like fulfillment. So the way I was doing my business, I can only deliver at maximum 20 clients at a time, right? Because I was doing one-on-one coaching and each session would be like an hour with people, that's 20 hour a week, but then on top of the rest of the week, you're dealing with everything else a business owner or a solopreneur has to deal with, right? You're doing the marketing, you're doing the finances, you're doing the invoicing, you're doing the admin, you're doing every little thing rescheduling. So for me, the challenge has and continues to be, how do I make sure I build a scalable coaching platform that can support more people. And there's a great book called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg, which I love, and he says, you need to create a great product and you need to be able to deliver the product to as many people as you can. And then that's how you essentially create tons of value for the market, right? And I was delivering a free product to many people via my videos I was producing and LinkedIn and YouTube and whatnot but I wasn't able to deliver the paid product. And every day I had people coming to me and say, Ian, I wanna coach. I'm like, I'm at capacity, I'm at capacity. So I built up this wait list and it built up to over a thousand people. And so when I launched my product, I launched it to that wait list. And I said, hey, the time has come. And I built a subscription coaching as a service model where it was a 12 month program as a weekly cohort with a group. It had an online portal, online trainings. And so that became the challenge is like, how do I, fulfill and serve more people in the fact I'm only one person and the one-on-one doesn't scale. So I really had to pretty quickly into my business venture switch my model entirely to be able to scale. And so I did. And that was the shift I recently made. And my first classes actually start my cohort. I sold 70 seats and there's 50 people who bought this group one and 20 people bought the private plus the group. And that starts this Wednesday. So. We'll see how it goes. But I knew I had to be able to do this in order to serve more people because there's nothing worse than having the demand and not being able to fulfill it. And so that was the biggest challenge. It wasn't so much, am I qualified to fulfill it? It was more, how do I serve people in a way that provides tremendous value without needing me individually? And so what I came up with was this idea of a weekly group training where I have a cohort of people and I do it twice a week, including people in your region of the world. So, I have two times, one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And so, wherever you are in the world, you can get coaching from me live. We have small groups. You can submit your questions in advance. I teach content one week. The other week, I do live Q&A and group coaching. So, we'll see what the renewal's like. We'll see what the results are like. But this is kind of my first foray into more scalable product. And the other thing I did is I got out of the sales game. I'm still doing sales, but it's more in a different way. It's selling through creating content, going on podcasts, going and getting my brand out there versus selling on individual sales calls. I said, I made a decision. I'm not going to take sales calls for this launch. I'm not going to do it because I can't support a thousand sales calls. And the minute I give them that opportunity, my calendar is going to be booked for months. And again, good problem to have, but I already am fulfilling other work that I have. I don't have time for those calls. So my... I guess limited bandwidth forced me to pivot the business and also pivot where I focus my time and attention. And I think that as a business owner, your time really should be in the business and doing what you're really, really good at versus being on a bunch of sales calls. I think there's good value in getting on those calls to practice and to learn selling and to connect with your customers. But up to a certain point, you know, if you're going to scale, you want to have a really good sales team. And that's kind of where I'm getting to right now is getting my infrastructure in place and getting the sales team in place too. So it's all a work in progress, but it's really a fulfillment and capacity issue that I am up against every day.
1: Ian, thank you so much for coming in and sharing. I think what I'm picking up here is for people who are listening going like, whoa, this sounds like we're a couple stages ahead is when you begin, you have to listen to what Ian was sharing at the beginning, which is he went into the trenches. He was doing all of the sales. He was speaking to the customers. He was serving them individually. And that is what happens when you lead with a sales skill before the product is you end up being so close to the customer, to the client that you get to deliver things that will scale better when you are ready. But they didn't go immediately out of the gate trying to do a big launch and trying to make a million dollars. No, it was started off as a side hustle by getting close to the client and really building something that was valuable for them. I love how throughout the conversation, Ian has been always talking about providing value as a salesperson. And you might think, oh my God, salespeople, they don't care about the product, they're only focused on the sale, but nothing could be further than the truth when you learn to sell the right way. I love all the ways that Ian described what sale truly is. And when you're able to be so close with the client, you get to create things that are exactly serving their needs. This is the thing that I'd love to leave everyone here with listening to this conversation, realizing that it can take time When you don't come from a place of being needy and desperate, you can build the right thing, you can stay with your integrity, you can make that impact, and when you are ready and you've leveled up because you've had the capacity being hit against the wall because you're serving people, you can level up, start to scale, and your next problem you'll be dealing with is how do you serve more in a more scalable place. So if you are finding yourself trying to just get your first clients, know that focusing on sales should be your number one thing. It's not the next coaching certification. It's not that new modality. It's how can you speak to people with problems and how can you be the person to solve them? I think this is a big ethos that I love to encourage everyone who sells with love. And for those who love the concepts of the program that Ian is speaking about, you want to learn sales, you want to have more success, we're going to put a link to Ian's program in the show notes. So make sure you check out that bonus section. There's a ton of content that he shares for free as well. If you go deeper into this journey. And with that, Ian, I need to ask you one more question, which is what does selling with love mean to you?
0: I'm glad you gave me the floor for one last question, because I think you summed it up beautifully. And it wouldn't change the thing on what you wanted the audience to get from this podcast. For me, selling with love The biggest shift I made to get to the top of the sales game fundamentally has nothing to do with selling skills. It has to do with intention and it has to do with heart, okay? People that are needy salespeople and salesy salespeople are the ones that are more focused on themselves than other people. And what I call this is an inward focus. And when you're selling with love, you are an outward focused salesperson. So it's not about you. It's about the client. It's about what you can do to help them. Zig Ziglar has a great quote. He says, if you help enough people get what they want, you're always going to get what you want. And for me, that was the biggest shift that I made is it used to be when I was focused on myself and selfishly pursuing money, it was all about my commissions, my sales, my quota attainment, my income targets. And it was for me. I wanted to close deals for me and for my family and for my bank account. And when I started making the shift in, leaving my ego at the door and saying, this is good for you. I'm here to help you. I want to listen and understand what your problems are, what your goals are. And I'm only going to pitch and share about my services if and when I know I can truly help you. That to me is what selling with love is.
1: Rock and roll, Ian. 100% 100% agree. It was a pleasure to have you on the show for everybody here once again. Looking through the show notes, I will have some more details about Ian how you can start following him and of course go out there and keep selling with love. I am your host Jason Mark Campbell and this is the Selling with Love podcast.